0: Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we wanna invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. You guys good this morning? Morning, Mercy. Man, it is so good to be here with you guys this morning. And actually, um, so I think we've gotten to meet several of you. We're still getting to know people. Um, We moved up here six months ago. Um, and really over this past month, uh, my family and I have been able to spend several weeks being up here, and we've just loved getting to worship with you guys every week, and just the passion that exudes from you guys as we get to sing praises to our Heavenly Father. It's just been such a gift and such an encouragement to our soul, Um, and and we love it. My, My family's here. My wife's down there. I've got twin boys who are 11, and our daughter Ivy's 14, and today my twin boys are actually 11. It's their birthday. It's a, this is it? Yeah. It's a, it's a big day in the Jones home, and it's uh, their birthday um, in a unique way. And maybe I'll, I'll share the story sometime just as a sobering reminder to us of God's faithfulness um, and his care for our family. And so it's been a, a sweet time for us. Um, but I've got a question for us as we get ready to start um, our series in John or continue our series in John. And it says, how do you know somebody? Like, how do you get to know somebody, really know them? All right? what does it take? What does it look like for us to stay meaningfully engaged in someone's life so that they can be known by you and so that you can be known by them? I remember a day, my senior year in college, I went to Texas A&M, and uh, there's nobody here that went to Texas <laughs> a m I just try to drop that every once in a while. Went to Texas A&M, and it was my senior year. It's actually my second senior year, and I didn't get a master's degree. Um, one of my roommates was telling me about something on the internet that he had found. He said, hey, there's this really cool thing on the internet, and it's kind of like a yearbook, right? There's people's pictures on it. There's faces. It's like these little profiles, and, and you, can, you can find them. You can find people, and you can become friends with them and friends with their friends. I remember thinking, like, that's just dumb. Like, that's just really dumb. Like, I don't even look at my high school yearbook. I don't look at any yearbook. Like, why would I want to get on a computer and look at all these people? Right? Well, it was spring of 2004, and that was Facebook. Right? So if you are, like, 20 years old, right, Facebook is this really cool thing. It's on the Internet. It links people all over the world. Your parents, your grandparents love it. They love to post pictures and videos, and it's actually a really good way for people to keep up with one another. But here's the thing, right? Everybody who's on Facebook has way more friends than they could ever keep up with or have a meaningful relationship with, right? Way more friends. Um, And and it's kind of actually interesting because every once in a while these friends, these friendships that kind of exist on social media tend to limp along. Um, and you might get to know some of them. Some of them you might have really good relationships with, but others you, you won't, and you never can, and you never would. But technically, you know them, and Facebook labels them for you as a friend. And so every once in a while, something pops up called a friend anniversary which is a day where you commemorate the time when you guys both clicked the like button that you wanted to be friends with one another, and you get this little slideshow with music and Sometimes it draws tears because it ends up being a friend friendiversary with like your kids or something like that, something weird, um, and it shows up. And so these relationships exist, um, but not all of them are meaningful. We know a lot of people. A lot of people know us, but do we truly know them? The relationship with my wife is different, right? Like I know my wife. She knows me. We've been married for 15 years right? And over those 15 years, we've been able to share our hearts with one another. We've been able to share our fears, our concerns, our hopes, our dreams. We've endured hardship together, challenging things. There's relationship, right? I trust her. She trusts me. Um, I think Jesus kind of gets at some of this idea of what I'm getting at here. Um, There's a story in one of the gospels where he's walking with his disciples along the road. And he asked them this question. He says, who do people say that I am? And they rattled off a few things. He said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Some say one of the prophets. And, and he, in a way that only Jesus does, he asks it again in a little bit more personal way. He says, no, but, but who do you say that I am? That's right? a little bit more personal. And so much hangs in the balance with this question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Right? Do you know him? Right, or is he like one of the thousands of friendships you have on Facebook? Technically, you know one another. Maybe there's a friend that pops up, and you can reminisce on some shared memories, but there's no real relationship. And this morning, as we continue our time in John, I think this is a good question for us to think about. Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you know him? It's intensely personal, and it's supposed to be. Um, but as we jump into this series, John, uh, with John and John together, we're going to find that God is a personal God and he has made himself known to us through Jesus. And it's actually the very reason John wrote his letter. You guys might remember last week we touched on this, but in, in John 20, 30 through 31, it says this, he writes, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. It says, but these... In other words, John's telling us that he wrote this letter very strategically. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So in this series, in the Gospel of John, we're calling it For God So Loved, right? And our aim is to help us move from knowing about Jesus, right, intellectually, kind of like your Facebook friends, you know about them, to knowing him intimately, For God so loved the world, right? It's it's one of the most extraordinary statements that we've ever made. God so loves the world and his love for the world, his love for you culminates in the cross, right? Where he took on our sin and our shame and he died and rose again. So John says in chapter three, therefore, whoever would believe in Jesus will be saved from their sins and have eternal life with God. Because God didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through the transforming power of the gospel, right? That's good news, right? God is not here to condemn, but to give life. So as we work through John's gospel, um, we're going to have to wrestle with the concept of belief, right? John was writing to an audience, many of whom they'd witnessed the miracles of Jesus' death and his resurrection. But they failed to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They had knowledge, but no belief. So what about you? Right, where do you sit this morning? Do you have belief? Right, if Jesus were to come up to you and he were to ask you, who do you say that I am, how would you answer? And if you don't know how you'd answer, you're in the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. And what a great opportunity we have over these next several months to wrestle through together who Jesus is and what he came to do and the life that he gives. And so our outline, we're going to break up these five verses in two parts. And I'm going to tell you where we're going. The first three verses, we're going to see that Jesus is God. And right? the next two verses, verses four and five, we're going to see that Jesus gives life and he gives light and he gives victory. So essentially, we're going to see who Jesus is. And we're going to see what he does. So let's look again in the first three verses. John writes, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him. Not one thing was created that has been created. So let's just pause for a second and just acknowledge how incredible the intro of this letter is, right? Craig did such a great job reading it. I was going to say, can't you imagine somebody like a, like a Chris Hemsworth, right? The guy who played Thor in the Marvel movies, just reading this and speaking this and you feel the weight of it. But man, just imagine Craig, right? <laughs> like that was so good, right? You just sense the richness and the weight of what we get to read and hear about, In these first few verses, John takes us to the beginning of everything, right? Before the world existed, John tells us there was something. Before the world existed, we learn that God was there and the word was there with him, right? The word, we translate that from the Greek, that the Greek word is logos, right? Logos was a well-known philosophical idea in John's day right? The Greeks, they could look at humanity, they could look at people, and they knew that there was something different about people from the rest of the created world, right? There was emotion. They could express ideas. There was beauty. There was relationship. Man could decide to do something and do it. Man could act and do. And your word was the means by which you communicated yourself to others, Your word was the means by which you communicated yourself to others. And so the Logos captured all of this. Jesus is the Logos of God. He makes the invisible God visible to us. He reveals him to us. In verse 18 of chapter 1, it says, No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him to us. So how do we know God? The Father? Through Jesus, the Son. It's fascinating, right? Right here in the beginning, John wastes no time and he gets right to it. And one of the first things we see in these verses is that the word was there in the beginning. In other words, Jesus has always existed and was never created. This is really important for us to understand. Some of you may be familiar with the concept of the Trinity, right? It's one of the more challenging things for us to wrap our minds around, but the scriptures clearly teach us that there's one God, right? We, Mercy Church, believe that there is one God. There's only one God in heaven, but we believe that this one God is made up of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They all three exist together in perfect unity, right? And they are three distinct persons, each having a distinct and different role. So just as the Father is God, so Jesus is God, and so the Holy Spirit is God. Jesus is not just an expression of God, right? God doesn't show up sometimes as Jesus, other times as the Holy Spirit, and other times as the Father, right? They are three distinct persons. Jesus is God, and he was there not just at the beginning, but before the beginning. Jesus was there before Genesis 1.1, right? Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word. Before time and life and the world as we know it, Jesus was there. That could only be true of somebody that was divine. All things were made through him, Right? That's the second thing we see. Jesus is the builder. He was present at the beginning with God and he's responsible for the creation of everything that was made. Right? Listen to verse three, it says, all things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians put it this way. He said, yet for us, there is one God, the father. All things are from him and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. So right here, we see that everything flows from the Father through the Son. Right? And In Colossians chapter 1, we see, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, talking about Jesus, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Again, all things are made through him. And Paul adds something else, else here that I think is so good for our souls. Right, he says, all things, he holds all things together. All right, how many of you this morning need to be reminded and encouraged that God holds all things together? All right, he holds your life together. He created you, and he's the one who will sustain you. Any parents in here? He holds your kids together. As my kids get older, I need that reminder. As I get ready to send one off to college, I know it's still four years away, but I have to remind myself that God holds my children together, and that's the best place for them to be. He holds us together. So in these first three verses, we've seen that the word who is Jesus has always existed and was never created. He is God, and he is the creator and sustainer of life. All right, so that's part one. Jesus is God. Now let's look at what he came to do. This is so good, right? He came to do what only he could do as the divine son of God. He came to restore creation back to its creator, he was the one who was going to restore Israel. He's the one who's able to bring all people back to a right relationship with God. He came to give us life, light and victory. So let's look back at verses four and five. It says, "In him was life. And that life was the light of men, and that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. So in him was life, in both a physical and a spiritual sense. Like physically, right? He's the source of everything that is living. He's the author of life, the giver of life, the sustainer of life. If Jesus had not made us, if he had not made you and me, we wouldn't be here, right? He's the source of our life physically, but he's also the source of our spiritual and eternal life. So in John 3, 16, again, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life, everlasting life. And In John 11, we see another story. Or a story about a man named Lazarus. You guys may be familiar with this story. Lazarus and Jesus were friends and Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick. Um, and it's actually, he's about to die. Jesus knows he's about to die. Um, and as he makes his way to where Lazarus is, um, Lazarus' sister comes out to Martha and she says, Jesus, he, he's already dead. And uh, this is, listen to what Jesus says to her. He tells her, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And he says, do you believe this? Like, Do you believe this? Do you believe that I have authority over physical life, that I have authority over your spiritual and eternal life? Do you trust me? Do you believe this? And so in this, as the story goes on, we know that Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave. Right? And Lazarus comes out, and we see that Jesus really does have authority over the physical and spiritual world. He's the one who can give us physical life and spiritual and eternal life. Do you trust him? Right? If you've been around church for a minute, you've probably heard that Jesus came to give us new life. At least I hope you have. But did you know Did you know that he also is here not just to be the source of your salvation, right? to be your, your ticket to eternity? But he's here to sustain your everyday, day, day in and day out life. He is the source of your life. And there's a couple things that I want us to consider, right? If Jesus really is the creator of life, if he's the giver of life, then it would make sense that he's the one we would turn to to satisfy the longings of our hearts. I like to think of it this way right? Like if there was two wells, right? Wells that you would draw water from to drink, right? There's a Jesus well, and in the Jesus well is what you would imagine to find is Jesus, right? And another well, we'll just call it a worldly well, and in this well, there's all kinds of things, right? There's career, there's relationship, there's friendship, there's there's marriage, there's children, there's good things, right? There's other things in there like addictions, addictive substances, The things that glitter and shine, power, control, things that are in this well. And so often we find ourselves dipping into this well to draw out water to try and quench the thirsts of our longings. And the thing is, is that this well can only give us an illusion of satisfaction. It's kind of like shrimp and grits. Does anybody like shrimp and grits? This is like my favorite meal. The best meal I've ever been introduced to in the South. But here's the problem with shrimp and grits. One, it's always really expensive. And two, I get about five minutes down the road afterwards and I'm starving again. Right? Those grits, they swell up with water. They make you feel full. And every bite is just like so temptingly good. Right? Like you just want to eat it and eat it. But then you're still hungry. Right? Like this well, this worldly well, it gives an illusion of satisfaction. Right? But it's worse than shrimp and grits because we find that this well actually leads to our destruction. But the well of Jesus gives us life. Right? In John 4, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman and he tells her that he has water to offer her that will completely satisfy Right, he told her, he said, anyone who drinks from the water that he gives will never thirst again. And then later in chapter six, after Jesus feeds 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and some fish. Right, he says, he's the bread of life. And no one, anyone who comes to me will never be hungry again. Right, he is the one who is able to satisfy the longings of our hearts. And sometimes those longings are satisfied through material and physical things. That's good, but we can never mistake the gift for the giver, right? We get into trouble when we begin to look at those gifts as though those are the source of our life. It's not. Jesus's. Even those of us who know Jesus as our Savior, right? We've turned from our sin and we've trusted Christ as our Savior. We can find ourselves trusting him for eternal life, but then going, you know what? I actually need to be in control over here and I need to draw from this other well, right? To get the job that I need, the relationship that I need, the the material things that I need, the comfort that I need to actually sustain and give meaning to my life. And we find as we draw from that well that the quench, the thirst is never quenched. And so Jesus invites us to come Right, to come and drink from him and to find our longings satisfied in him in a way that only he can do. He goes on in verse 4. Um, John tells us that Jesus came to give not just life, but light. He says that the life he gives is the light of men. Right? Can you guys see well at night? I don't see very well at night. Uh, when we drive as a family... When the sun sets, my wife usually taps me on the shoulder and she says, it's time. Like We need to change. Um, we want our kids to have a nice long life, so let's pull over, find a gas station, and let me drive. And I'm like, okay, you're right. So she drives. She drives at night. I grew up in Plano, Texas. I never had to drive at night. There were streetlights everywhere, lampposts everywhere. It was like noon, high noon, driving around Plano, Texas at 11 o'clock at night. Um but we stumble around in the darkness, right? When we can't see, we trip and we fall. A couple of years ago, I was serving as a youth minister several years ago, and I took our youth group to a fall retreat campsite. Um, and this was the first time we'd ever been there. And we had planned that we were going to play Capture the Flag at night, right? Capture the Flag is awesome, but Capture the Flag at night is even better, right? Because you can dress in dark clothes, camo, sneak around, and this was going to be a great, great night. Well, this camp also served as a summer camp. And so summer camps, they don't really do laundry, but they do have clotheslines. So you can hang up swimming suits and towels. Um, So we play this game and it's not too long before I find out that two students have been clotheslined by the clotheslines. (laughs) And one girl in particular like took it straight her, right in the mouth, right? Just, she was about to win. She's going for the line, hits the clothesline, on her back, counting stars, right? Like literally counting stars. And uh, I was just really thankful that she's okay. Um, she's still my friend. Her family is still friends with us. Um, it, all, it all worked out. Um, but we stumble around, like we need light. And the psalmist, in Psalm 119, he writes this, he says, God, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path, right? And Paul Tripp, who's an author and a pastor, he commented on this verse and he said, this means God's word is not just given to rearrange the way you think, but also to be the thing that guides the way you live, right? The word of God reveals, it illuminates. John's telling us that the living word of God illuminates, right, reveals to us who God is. He enables us by his grace to see our need for salvation, Right? He's the light by which we're, in, we're able to process and make sense of things and, and the things we see and experience in our world. And without the word of God and the spirit of God, we'd be left to wander around blindly. Now there's also a sense in which John uses light to describe righteousness, right? You see him compare good and evil righteousness and unrighteousness, and the darkness describes the evil. And so in verse 5, he writes, the light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. The did not is a past tense verb referring to a specific event at a specific time. And you can probably guess and imagine what that event is. Most commentators and scholars agree that that is looking back on the cross, right? The cross where Satan hoped he had won, But what he didn't realize is that God was actually in control and what seemed like the darkest moment in history was actually the most victorious moment in all of history, right? Death and sin were defeated at the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Darkness did not overcome the light and it still can't and it still won't overcome the light. Jesus brought us forgiveness and victory through his death and resurrection the light of Christ has come into the world and the darkness has not and will not overcome it. Now this doesn't mean no hardship, right? It doesn't mean no suffering. It doesn't mean that there's no pain, but it does mean that it doesn't get to have the final say. And I think sometimes we can be deceived into thinking that God is, is sitting in heaven not doing anything. And the reality is, is that he has already accomplished it. And he is still bringing it About into a reality where there is new life. He is making all things new, and one day sin will be gone and everything will be made new. This is a certain hope for the believer. Like we know this, we anticipate this, we expect this. And the the struggles and the sufferings and the hardship we face in this world make us long for the next. And those spaces aren't even, we shouldn't even consider those to be abandonments from God, right? Those oftentimes are the spaces that God tends to do his deepest work in us, refining us, calling us to him, reminding us that we are not capable on our own, but we are in desperate need of the loving father who is there to give us life and light. The one who can only satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. So what do we do with this? And how should we respond? Well, I think it depends on how we answer our first question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you believe that he's the son of God who brings life and light into our world? For some of you, your next step is to turn to Jesus. To come to him and find life and light. For others, maybe your next step is to to turn, like to realize maybe you, you realize you've been drawn from the wrong well, right? You came to Jesus for salvation, and now you're looking to everything else to provide for you what only God can give, and you find yourself dissatisfied. That's really God's grace. It's really God's kindness to us that we would come to the end of ourselves and realize that the things that we're chasing after don't actually give us life, because he's the one who gives us life. And as we draw from the right well, as we turn to Jesus, here's what happens. Our lives become transformed by the gospel, right? The life that comes from Jesus begins to take its root in our lives, and then it begins to work its way out in our living, right? And as this happens, we find that we become mirrors, reflecting this very life and light that God has given us into the midst of the darkness of our world. Right? We get to, in a sense, sort of pull back the curtain of eternity and give people a little taste and a glimpse of what heaven is like. We get to live redemptively in this world. I think it's so cool where we're meeting right now in this school building. At that Monday through fi- Friday is all about building into the lives of students. right, Giving them an education that they need so that they can go on and be successful. But now... This is a place of worship, right? Where we know where life comes from and we get to use this place in a redemptive way and we get to sing, we get to be reminded of who God is and we get to pray. And we even get to pray for the kids that come here and the teachers and the staff that come here that they would find that life is found only in Christ. What a cool opportunity we have. I'm gonna invite the band to come on up um, and I'm gonna pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you. You're the source of all of life. You've made us. God, you've made us in in your image, in your likeness. God, and you sent your son Jesus to rescue us, to give us life. God, I pray that you'd help us to only look to you as the source of life. God, would you forgive us when we turn to other things? God, when we get caught up in seeking the approval of man or our own comforts and desires. But God, that we would find our life in you and we would know a life that is an abundant life. That's what you said you came to give us. God, help us to trust you with that. Because sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes it's really hard because things don't always make sense to us. But God, you're present and you're good. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.